In today's episode of VFM, we're talking to EDNI and governance consultant Uche Enemchuku about what value for money means to her. Welcome to the 43rd episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And I couldn't be happier to be joined by my co-host, the one and only Nico Aspinall. I thought I was going to see you today, Nico, but um, I know. It, it hasn't worked out that way, has it? Well, look, I'm, I'm delighted that you've managed to come out of your, your sickbed. I know. Uh, even to uh, be, be here with us on, on Teams. Um, uh, but Darren, how are you feeling? Uh, pretty rubbish, to be totally honest with you. Um, got got man flu, horrible cold. Um, so you know, had lots of stuff up in town today. Um, so I've had to sort of totally rearrange my day, and pretty much woke up ten minutes before we started recording this yeah, podcast. Yeah. So um, if I'm if I'm more dozy than usual, then um, you know, please bear with me. Well, look, I mean, I, I'm I'm treated to the pleasure of looking at you, and uh, you look <laughs> awful. Oh, dear listener, if you could only see what we're seeing, uh, you're you're really pulling out all the stops to be with us today. So, um, and we're going to go, we're going to milk the sympathy vote, aren't we, for this episode? We absolutely <laughs> sure. I think everybody can probably hear in your voice yeah. <laughs> just how you're feeling. Um, and uh, yeah, so so we may have to mute Darren, or you may have to mute yourself from time to time to 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 cough and. And sneeze and uh, generally do that but um, I'll try not to drag you back into the conversation at inappropriate off, moments yeah. that'll be good that'll be good <laughs> but I might also make a joke of it so yeah I'm go. sure you will I'm sure you will and it wouldn't be the first time would it no. <laughs> so anyway um today we're joined by um Uche Uche Enem Chuku um and you are CEO and founder of Nello Nilu Solutions, and you've worked for various US law firms, Willis Towers Watson and Boeing. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Delighted uh, to have and, you on. And is it Nello Nulu? What's the it's Nailu. 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 And where, yeah. where does that come from? So um it's actually Nigerian. So I'm Nigerian. Um mm. and my ethnic group is Igbo. Um so Nailu means higher. Okay. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like above us. Yes, correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a recruitment consultant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Not yet. Like above us, higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll definitely come on uh, a bit more to talk about uh, what you do um, and, uh, and 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 the solutions. Um, but yeah, as ever, we start with the news. So Uche, what have you what have you brought in for us? Well, you, I, um, oh, like we just discussed, I looked at your email about 10 minutes before we started <laughs> and um, realized... We're wonderfully prepared. We're wonderfully prepared. <laughs> so, this is... <laughs> um, so uh, there are a few things um, that are top of mind um, in the news uh, recently. So um, Izio did a really interesting survey um, that found that... 
employers are essentially uh, wasting around 15 billion pounds um, in benefit spend by wow. not considering diversity issues. Um, it's the same in the US. <laughs> right. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, topic and the uh, pound amount or dollar amount, if we're talking about the U.S., is really alarming, but mm. honestly not surprising to me at all. So. so so how does that kind of missing out transpire? What, what, what is that missing out? Well, missing out um, essentially is investing in all types of benefit programs, which employers pay for. Mm. They're not inexpensive. So can start just doing a comparative analysis, thinking about the US, for example, where um, employers offer both health um, and welfare benefits in addition to retirement plans. Mm -hmm. um, on the health side, we know that the um, healthcare industry in the US is a disaster. There's nowhere to go yeah. but up. <laughs> Um, so the don't tempt them. Sorry. <laughs> don't tempt them. It could it could still get worse. You never know. Yes. So the spend on those benefits, right, on health benefits, mm. just increases by um, multiple digit percentages every year. Um, the spend on retirement benefits from uh, budgeting for contributions to um, all the different financial well-being tools, the cost of administration, the cost of consulting, all of that is wasted if mm. you're not actually reaching the people who um, need these benefits. You're not yep. getting the bang for your buck, if you want to put it like yeah, that. Yeah. So um, here it's similar. Um, you all have NHS, which makes things um, <laughs> quite different, but um, many of your employers offer health and welfare benefits, private mm -hmm. yep. um, health insurance, among other um, health benefits, and then also um, pension contributions, whether they have their own trust or they're part of um, a master trust. So um, not getting the bang for your buck is, is just waste. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so is this right. sort of different minorities uh, kind of not taking advantage of the benefits or they sort of don't appreciate them or, uh, you know, where's, where's, where's that? Where, where, what could improve, do you think? Well, there's a lot that could improve. And right now we're talking really from the employer's perspective and the loss um, that they experience. But the reality is um, when employees are not able to access um, the benefits that are provided, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Um, and when I talk about access, I mean efficient access in that it's at their fingertips and they're able to use it. Mm. Um, there's access in the sense of actually just knowing that the benefit exists right? yeah, 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 yeah. or knowing that they are um, enrolled in a retirement plan, a pension plan, whether it's DC yeah. or DB. Um, really that form of access, I should have closed my email. Email <laughs> it's, it's usually um, it's usually me that does that. Oh, my phone usually starts ringing. Um, sorry okay. about that. No worries. Everyone just decided they'll start emailing me right this minute. But um, no, so efficient access, having things right at their fingertips. There's the other piece of knowing that it even exists and knowing that they're enrolled. Um, the other piece of it is using it to the ex using it to the extent that they should. So, yeah. um, so when we talk about 
certain groups not being able to access benefits, um, the result of that can be a disparate impact. So you're mm. offering a benefit, right? Um, you are designing it in such a way um, based on utilization, right? So a lot of you as employers, you'll go and you'll look at who's utilizing it, who's talking about it, who's complaining about it. Let's be very yeah. clear. Yeah. <laughs> who's yeah. making demands. And then you start designing your plans around the squeaky wheels, right? Yeah. Um, but the reality is you end up designing your plans in such a way that those who have had difficulty accessing your plans might um, have more difficulty in accessing your plans um, and you create a disparate impact. So that in itself um, creates a cost because there's people who are just not able to access the plan at all and are not getting the same benefit as everyone else out of it. So I've just said a lot, um, but in some <laughs> lack of access um, results in disparities, which is its own cost and lack of access results in um, designing our plans in certain ways that create disparate impacts and mm. result in disparities. So. And, and it's and it's more than just by the sounds of it, it's more than just a communications issue. Um, although communications is an important part of this. Absolutely. It's about actually taking a step back and thinking about the design of benefits and what you're Absolutely. trying to achieve with it. Absolutely. And that's a lot of the work that we do is we go into these plans and schemes yeah. <laughs> talking yeah. about the UK and the US and we look at these plans to see if there are ways to redesign them um, to ensure that everyone is um, not only able to access the, the plan or the scheme, but also able to get the same benefit as mm. everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, so um, I guess in the UK, maybe the the kind of front of mind uh, kind of minority or the front of mind measure is sort of wealth inequality uh, yeah. and and, and uh, DC pensions. Um, so obviously the the pensions minister, um, which we'll come on to in a second, okay. <laughs> the, the pensions minister um, has the power in secondary legislation to uh, change where auto enrollment bites. Um, so essentially drawing in uh, younger people and uh, those on, on lower pay. Um, so that might start to address some of the mm. in wealth inequality uh, type of issues in terms of the UK uh, auto enrollment system. But that seems to me like the sort of tip of the iceberg here, right? Um, so, uh, you know, getting people to appreciate it, um, maybe even understand that they could contribute more to it. Um, yeah. uh, potentially even understand that they need to contribute more to it to uh, have a, a standard of living and retirement that they're they're comfortable with. Um, those sorts of things, I think, uh, again, particularly by kind of uh, by wealth, are, are not well understood. Mm. Um, and obviously, with the cost of living crisis, uh, asking people, suggesting they may need to pay more into their pension. Um, <laughs> is is very difficult um and very hard to to advise them as that's like a a good outcome right yeah yeah um so yeah no really interesting really interesting you also wanted to talk um Uche, about the fca consultation that they've got running at the moment didn't you yeah you asked me about 15 minutes ago if i wanted to <laughs> <laughs> so, um and yes i mentioned that i wanted to talk about it yeah i think um 
Wow. Okay. So you're asking, it, this is difficult for me. I'm used to very pointed questions and I'm always afraid <laughs> that I will just talk and talk and talk and ramble. You're in good um, company. You're in good yeah. company. Nico, Nico does it all the time. Yeah. 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 I, we haven't talked I'm about the Roman an attorney yet, and a consultant. So we talk way too much. Um, <laughs> so let's see. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to talk about um, the recent consultation um, that the SCA put out um, around EDNI um, and financial services. Um, and really, I just want to just draw the parallel and draw the relationship um, with uh, the TPR EDNI guidance. Mm. Um, the reality is the TPR, my understanding is that they're really taking this very seriously and really seeing what um, schemes are doing, seeing what trustees are doing and um, gauging their attitudes. Um, for example, the recent survey that was sent out to trustees. The What I think is important to understand is that there is, the thought among um, some schemes that uh, the EDNI guidance is not exactly biting enough, right? Mm. It's not a mandate, right? Mm. Um, but I think it's important to still take it very seriously, and I don't mean it should it should not be taken seriously, but it's important to take it seriously because it's converging with the FCA. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, it's converging with the FCA. So if there is if there's an incentive or if if folks feel like they can wait on things, um, they can kind of drag their feet or take a checkbox um approach, um, I think they will be very uh very uh surprised yeah. um, when all of this converges um, mm. and they find that they've done nothing mm. um, and they find that they are well behind everyone else and under scrutiny mm. um, from a regulatory standpoint and from an employer yeah. standpoint. And, yeah. and, and and do you think that, you know, the, the trustees or the, you know, the boards that you talk to actually get this stuff? You know, are they are they starting to take it more seriously, or is there, you know, um, is is there alternative approach approaches and the different people at very different levels? So what I would say is, um, there are some trustees out there. I won't name them, <laughs> but um, they know who they are. Go on, it's um, just between us, you change. Yeah. It's just between <laughs> us. <laughs> Um, no, there's some really great trustees out there. Andrew Warwick Thompson was hmm. um, on your program or on your podcast a couple months ago or so. Um, there are some trustees out there who are very serious about this, hmm. um, who have been proactive, um, taking action, um, creating EDI policies, um, implementing solutions. Um, so there are trustees out there who are very serious about this. Um, I would say that the, the trustee boards out there and the committees out there more broadly, um, the issue for them is 
what do I do, right? Mm, So I hear and I've read the guidance, the um, TPR, EDNI guidance, but what what do I do next, right? Mm. Um, Where do I start? So that's very much um, a barrier that we're seeing. Mm. Um, So with that said, I don't think that there is a a complete uh, a complete uh, you know lack of interest yeah. <laughs> right in taking action. Um, but I do think that there is a lack of understanding of how to move forward, and mm. that lack of understanding has led to doing nothing. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's what I would say. Mm. The the issue here is that doing nothing is not going to work and doing nothing is going to catch up with you very quickly. And we're seeing that the FCA consultation um, (laughs) is going to converge with all of this other guidance and create a situation where um, trustee boards and their asset managers are going to have to act um, and act quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so for me, the, the 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 two pieces to pick out of the FCA consultation um, would be, I guess, so first that, uh, you know, boards uh, in the, you know, FCA regulated orbit need to have plans yeah. um, and they need to demonstrate kind of uh, what they're aiming to achieve over right. relatively kind of short periods, but not like instantly. So, so I think sort of five years is the kind of expected timeline of the plans from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is that it extends to the whole business. So previous focuses have been on boards. Um, and I think the SMCR, so the senior exec kind of level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is now being extended to the other 90% plus of the business, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So I think those are really two important kind of ramifications here. Yeah. Um, I uh, so so, so uh, we here at Newton run a charity survey um, and looking at charity trusteeship was one of the questions um, and um, essentially they're, they're they're pretty representative of their beneficiaries. I think it very much depends on um, kind of uh, which part of the country you're in and maybe what kind of charity they are. Um, but the the kind of responses showed I think that they are certainly by ethnicity and gender pretty diverse. Um, and I was really struck by the kind of sense that, um, you know, if I went into a charity boardroom, I'd have a very different feel than if I went to, into a trustee boardroom, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that sense um, that they had of, um, so I talked to a few of the charities, we had a launch event, you know, they're, they're, they were very interesting to say, like, it's quite get difficult to get people to be board uh, trustees of charities. So actually, our best route is for the positive outcomes that we have amongst our beneficiaries to start to try and drag some of these people up into sort of the governance elements of, of charities. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if the pension system has sort of lost that connection to the membership um, and whether we couldn't do more to try and make I mean, I'm not going to say pensions is hard enough to make exciting, let alone pensions <laughs> governance, right? Yeah. Uh, but that link to kind of what we do in the community in pensions um, and trying to be representative of that community in the way that they're governed. Um, I just wonder if we could make that a bit stronger. Um, so, yeah, no, I was really struck by that kind of contrast between the sort of charitable sector and the, and the kind of pension mm-hmm. sector on, on diversity. Yeah. yeah. 
but, but what, what we're seeing as well, Nico, though, is um, a increasing professionalisation of trusteeship. Mm. Um, and and that almost works against, um, you know, what you were saying there, mm. because even though, you know, regulators are looking at the skill set and the competence of the trustee board as a whole, so not everyone has to be a, a professional trustees. And, you know, we've got the Association of Member Nominated Trustees and others mm-hmm. that do a really good job in trying to tr- create that connection that you're, you're talking about. Um, but you know, but running these schemes is just becoming harder and harder and harder. Mm. And and I think that you know you're you're 100 right that we have lost that or we're losing that connection between the membership and the scheme. Yeah. Um, I just think that's a, a consequence of you know the, the increasing professionalisation of trusteeship. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so it'd be interesting to sort of think about how that can be reversed or you know what some of the how we break down some of the barriers for for people to become trustees that can bring different perspectives yeah i mean so there's bits of pensions trust legislation which um so for a db scheme or a single employer trust essentially you need a third a third a third Mm. um so a third from the membership a third from the corporate and a third independent um and uh you know that goes back to maybe the 2005 a day reforms um so uh you know the, the, it's relatively well established i think it's before have, that is I it even that, before I that yeah it's 90 because the a day reforms were all tax it could it could be the could funding be the code came in uh, anyway 95, <laughs> 95 pensions act could be a good one to look at there all right um so uh we need tim right in we need tim gosling <laughs> need tim gosling Tim Gosling um, so but when i went to i remember going to the launch of now pensions um at the royal mechanical engineers uh, which is like george street um and i was very struck by the the sense that you would have this sort of great and good uh trustee board and no members and no mechanism for members to come on. And I think the master trusts have really missed a beat actually in going for that kind of professional trustee route only um, and not having some sort of a sense of, uh, you know, democracy and representation mm. of the of the members in it. Um, and you sort of get this increasing distance maybe between uh, the people they serve and, and, and the governance process. So, yeah, I think that's a bit of a shame. I think that's a yeah. bit of a shame. Absolutely. Um... Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to bring in Darren, and uh, but he was just coughing. <laughs> <laughs> so you want me to do my news piece? Okay. Yes, please. Yeah, that'd be excellent. Great. Excellent. Well, so um, you know, I want to pick up on one of the themes that we we were discussing last week with Tim Gosling, um, and it's my my favourite MC, uh, <laughs> if, if that's a thing, not band. Um, or rapper or whatever um you put me right on that last week but it's our, drum and bass our, has a different our, lexicon of performing arts it was our, our good friend general levy you know <laughs> yeah. um and robin ellison in his regular uh, comment piece for professional pensions um you know always enjoy reading his stuff and hi robin um he's fighting <laughs> the good fight as usual and just wanted to to highlight um you know some of the stuff that he was talking about um in his latest article which was um, all around the levy, uh, but equally, you know, how is TPR demonstrating value for money? Mm. And, um, you know, if you're looking at um, increasing levies, if you're looking at redistributing levels, levies, you know, shouldn't you have a root and branch review of mm. the expenditure side of things as well? And I think, yeah. um, you know, we were talking with Tim last week on this, and I think that, you know, various organisations have come out and said, look, we really need to look at this levy properly. You can't just mm. do another sticking plaster approach. Um, but, you know, 
Robin is taking that a step further and saying, and I think you were making this point last week, Nico, that you, you can't look at one side without the other. Mm. And I think the, um, you know, there's a, obviously a hole in levy funding um, to be filled, but there's more than one way of filling that hole. And and I think, you know, sparking that debate and, you know, when we, while we're talking for value for money, uh, thinking about value for money from regulation and make sure we've got the, the focus of regulation right. Probably wouldn't go quite as far as Robin on some of the stuff he <laughs> says, but but I think it's an interesting challenge because, you know, in a world of limited resources, we all need to make sure we, we're getting bang for our buck. And, you know, mm. that, that comes from, you know, the employee benefits packages that we offer, like we were talking about early, earlier. But it also mm. should, should, you know, we need value for money from levies and we also need value for money from regulators. Yeah, yeah. So... Now that the pensions regulator is in a hole, maybe it should stop digging. Is that uh, that's <laughs> what Robin's uh, piece said? Maybe, maybe he, he, he talks about um, you know October the 29th being a particularly busy day. It was Hillary Clinton's 76th birthday. Oh right, both, I didn't get uh, the invite. Uh, and, 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 and both OSPB Feed the Birds Day and National Cat Day, which seems serendipitous for cats if not birds. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, it was National Tracings Day. So, you know, it's just it's a brilliant read. It's just it's fantastic Robin, Robin type stuff. But anyway, I, d- I did not know it was National Birds Day and National Cat Day. Um, and yeah, it's um, yeah interesting they're on the same day. Yeah, I mean, that feels to me like there's a governance issue uh, in the, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the animal governance uh, should be better done. Um, you know, obviously the birds... Uh, by sheer, where are they? All data, you know, they're higher up the <laughs> the system, ought to take precedence. You'd have thought over the cats, um, but uh, well, there we go. What a shame. So, um, well, delighted to hear that Robin agrees with us, um, and um, no doubt that was written a long time ahead of his listening to our podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but maybe one for the new pensions minister to sort out, Nico. Maybe one. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you. Let me let me bring on the bring on my section of the news so um i wanted to i wanted to talk about several things but um uh you didn't let me down so let's let's talk first <laughs> about the uh the new pensions minister so obviously um there was a sort of rumored uh reshuffle um our uh failed uh podcast guest uh laura trott uh has been taken up the echelons of uh, ministerial governance uh, i think she's now chief secretary to the treasury Yes, right. Um, but, but when you say failed podcast guests, what do you, you know, you're, she, you're, you're, she you're, rejected you're, you're, our overtures. You're, you're, um, you're talking about our failure to get um, her on. No, this no, no. Podcast, I'm talking right? about her failure to come onto this podcast. Oh, right. okay, okay, okay. Um, so whether she didn't understand the, the value for money that a free spot on uh, a podcast that reaches out to the DC community uh, would give her or, or well, you know, whether whether your email was too rude. I don't uh, know. I, 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 I think, um, you know, she just really didn't want to spend an hour rambling <laughs> with us too. That's that's what it comes down to. <laughs> well, and so uh, to replace Laura, and it has to be said, uh, it shows where pension sits in the hierarchy. It took a while for us to hear uh, that this vacancy would be replaced. So we, we're now going to have uh, Paul Maynard. Um, so it is worth looking at his uh, Wikipedia. Um, I won't read it all out, uh, but it's fair to say there's some highs and lows uh, in there. So I wanted to pick out uh, one high. Um, uh, which, uh, uh, you know, is that he's, I think he's the second um, uh, uh, MP to have cerebral palsy. 
So um, he, uh, yeah, he's he's essentially, uh, you know, going to be linking some of that uh, disability consciousness with hopefully pensions. Um, so talking very much, I think, to that that kind of previous point and um, making sure that we get the ED&I elements of pensions uh, right. Um, he's been around uh, government for a, a, a few different posts. Um, at that sort of under secretary of state level so uh in transport previously um and then uh, the final thing on the on the on the bit of uh, uh wikipedia that i wanted to pull out is that in june 22 so darren you and i have have occasionally strayed into uh kind of political systems and constitutional design only occasionally um, <laughs> so so uh, he would be a great guest because he proposed a bill in June 22 uh, to replace the House of Lords with an elected Senate, mm. um, which I think, uh, uh, I, well, I, I, I'm unable to relate exactly how few people voted for that bill. But the fact that we don't have a Senate suggests that uh, it was at least 300 and whatever it takes to have a majority against something. Um, so, um, yeah, interesting uh, to have a sort of constitutional reformer zeal um, uh, within pensions. Um, all so, about governance. It's all about the governance. Yeah. Um, and so not a bad place to sort of come from. Um, uh, obviously, there'll be a general election next year. Um, so uh, I guess max sort of 12 months in position. Um, but there's certainly a lot of things to be done. Um, not least uh, pushing forward on value for money. So, yeah, we'd love to have Paul on board uh, on the podcast to, to hear about how he's going to do that um, and uh, maybe to react to, to Richard Smith's uh, pie charts of what value for money means to the, the various guests that we've had. Indeed. Um, so if I may, Darren, I, I also wanted to just touch on uh, Rachel Reeves's promise to uh, give us a, a, a pensions review uh, when and if uh, Labour come into to, to power, presumably at the end of next year. Um, so this is sort of a bigger picture review, um, maybe than we previously anticipated. So we've spoken a lot about the Mansion House compact um, and the kind of sense between both parties that they want to see uh, pensions money being invested in into the UK. Um, so Reeves on Monday said uh, that if Labour won power, it would review the entire pensions landscape to ensure it delivered the full potential. Note, not value for money, <laughs> for savers and companies. Um, so, uh, but this would be including uh, LGPS um, uh, benefits, uh, DB schemes and uh, DC schemes. Um, DC schemes excluded from that little uh, roundup. So I don't know if that's uh, a signal. I'm probably reading too much into that. Mm. Um, so you and I, Darren, have several times called for a pensions commission to yeah. talk about the landscape. Um, uh, I don't know whether I should read into this that there would be a cross-party review um, or whether this is going to be kind of solely in, in the kind of Labour political camp. Um, I think I can speak for both of us, Darren, when we say we'd be delighted to be invited uh, to join. To join. Um, I mean, the, <laughs> Do you the, see the, yourself as a pensions commissioner, Nico? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I'd have to get permission from my current employers, but it'd be a great little piece of the CV, wouldn't it? You it's, know? it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but but yeah, we could offer to this commission. Oh, we? I know. I know. You know, we could offer them, you know, 40 odd hours of, you know, good, solid <laughs> material for, <laughs> for them to listen to. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if they do do a review, um, how wide it goes and how deep it goes. 
mm. because you know um, at the moment um, all lenses are leading to productive finance you know mm. um, and it's just like we we need to we need to spark some economic growth we we need to spend some money we haven't got any money how can we spend other people's money to meet our objectives is basically what's going on here and and i think that you know yes um if if we can have an attractive economy if there's good opportunities for pension schemes to invest and, and deliver for their members great absolutely fantastic but you know i we, we've talked a lot on this on this podcast about you know you can't force schemes to do that um and ultimately you know schemes aren't just going to invest in something because it's got a uk badge on it if it mm. doesn't perform as well as um something with a different badge on it yeah. um i think that you know you can see the politics behind starting there but equally i think there's more fundamental things within the pension system that you need to address first like you know mm. sustainability of the of the triple lock and you know the future of the basic state pension there's some big questions yeah. there um you've already mentioned auto enrollment coverage Mm. You know, how can we get more people um, saving more if that's indeed the right thing for them to do? You know, how can you get up to um, a level of contributions that is meaningful? You know, how do we um, remove some of the rough edges that we've got in auto enrollment, which lead to, you know, um, inequality issues? And, you know, how do we improve decision making within the pension system? So we're really delivering for members and put members first. You know, I, you know, any review, I think, needs to consider stuff like that. Um, just as much as it does, um, you know, answering the question, how do you get, you know, UK pensions money into into the UK economy? Mm. Yeah, it's there's we're sort of in this slightly weird shadow boxing phase, aren't we, in terms of um, you know main party politics, where um, to to kind of demonstrate their economic um, competence, Labour is essentially echoing a lot of Tory policies mm. um, and then in some places sort of one upping them if it's free. Um, so this is a space where <laughs> you can say, look, you're not, we're not just going to do Mansion House. We're also going to see if we can uh, pick the pockets of all pension schemes uh, in terms of investing in the UK. And it's all free except for the the, the exorbitant pay of the commissioners. And, you know, I, I'm very cheap. I'm very reasonable. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> move on. Move on. <laughs> Go on. Ask the question. Then. Go on. So, um, Uche, um, yeah, after that um, rambling session from myself, <laughs> Uche, um, yeah, I felt better about my earlier rambling. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how did you get into pensions? Ah, so, uh, let's see, how do I make this as short of an answer as possible? Uh, so, let's see. So, I fell into it randomly. Um, so ERISA, which is the law that um, the law that governs employee benefit plans and retirement plans in the U.S. Hmm. Um, when I was in law school, I was a little bit lost about what I wanted to do, and um, I did well in my tax courses. And I knew I did not want to be a litigator. So one of my professors asked me, "Have you ever heard of ERISA?" And I was like, "Who's that?" <laughs> and she was just like, "No, it's it's employee benefits. It's it's ERISA law. It's ERISA practice." So, um, I listened further, and I <laughs> fell into um, I fell into pensions and benefits. So I started um, in big law, practicing um, employee benefits, all employee benefits, um, and then from there I went to Willis Towers Watson. 
um, started when it was Willis. We're all cousins right. here. We were okay. all part yeah. of yeah. 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 part of that oh, well, family. We were married. We were we, we were, were married. married by the, so I was in the TW side. Um, <laughs> so what at the beginning of 2016, we were we were thrust together. <laughs> so I was originally part of Willis. Mm. Then we were thrust together um, <laughs> and I became part of WTW and uh, moved over to the large employer side and mm. focused on largely on retirement. Um, and then from there went over to Boeing where I managed compliance for all of their retirement plans, DB and DC, um, mm. and they have more assets than some countries. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. In their um, plan. So, um, yeah, so I fell into it and um, stayed in it. I love it. I'm mm. what you would call a benefits pensions nerd. Um, <laughs> I get excited about this stuff and can talk about it all day. So, um, yeah, so that's how I fell into it. <laughs> Yeah. So you've seen some amazing different cultures there from from law to sort of consultancy to, to aircraft manufacturing. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and then with a sort of common thread of pensions uh, kind right. of through those. Yeah. 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 So that must have been must have been amazing. And then uh, you found it. Did you find uh, uh, Nilu after uh, after Boeing? Yeah, so Launch Nilu, um essentially while I was at Boeing, because I saw that um, the work I was doing there together with the amazing boss I had, um, she's no longer there either, but um, we did, we launched a um, DEI, EDI total rewards um, initiative. Um, so we started putting policies into practice um, in our retirement plans, um, thinking about uh, design, thinking about delivery um, of our retirement benefits, thinking about the diversity of our vendors, um, thinking about the way we uh, advised and informed um, our retirement plan committee. Um, so all of those different uh, all of those different considerations. So saw that it saw that it went pretty well and the members responded very well. Um, in particular. Um, so I'd already thought about launching uh, my own consultancy together with um, my two sisters who are medical doctors. Oh, right. um, okay. yeah. yeah, so I'd already thought about it. Um, and this was kind of the, uh, the test that I needed to mm. see if this would work. Um, and when I say it, I had already thought about it. Um, Probably during my time at WTW is when I started thinking about it, mainly because um, it was always the same story. So I was always the single, uh, the only um, person of color and then woman of color in the groups in which I worked. Um, and I often found that even WTW employees who work in pensions, work in retirement plans, work in health plans, would those other groups with the people of color would come ask me questions mm -hmm. because I was a benefits attorney about their benefits, right? Right. Um, they'd feel more comfortable coming to talk to me about it. And I was really surprised that these were professionals who just really didn't have 
a background in their own benefits, meaning their first generation corporate employees, their parents didn't have mm-hmm. um, access to employee benefit plans or retirement plans. Um, same thing, I got to Boeing. I was the resident, yes. <laughs> I was the resident benefits advisor including for executives that would stop by my office and say, can I ask you a silly question, right? Because they felt more comfortable talking to me about it. So same thing with my sisters, multiple degrees, top institutions, um, practicing medicine, and just would come and ask me questions about their health plan, their retirement plans, Mm. simply because they had no background in it, Mm. right? And so, it really just became clear to me that there were certain people doesn't matter we're not talking about low income folks we're talking about mm. across the board but they're underserved groups right of all income levels who for various reasons including not having right previous experience mm. um having access to these benefits and and pension plans but also not being considered when the employer is designing the plan, when the employer is communicating the plan, because the people who are doing this don't look like us at yeah, all right. and don't have our same lived experiences. So um, so that's where all of this came from. It just kind of clicked in my mind that this is an area that's needed because underserved groups are really missing out on the opportunity to save. Um, they're missing out on the opportunity to get quality health care. Um, and employers, like we talked about at the beginning of this, are not getting the bang for their buck because they're spending money on yep. pension and benefit plans that are not benefiting everyone. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to just pause on the, the, the family business element. So, so <laughs> you're doing this with your two sisters. That's amazing. Yeah, so my two co-founders are um, are medical doctors. One is uh, urologist, the other one is um, internal medicine. So, um, and they both do a lot of disparity work. So they're they're mm. professors, so they're with institutions, um, yeah. and they do a lot of health disparity work. So I had the pension and the benefits technical knowledge, and they came with the medical and um, social determinants of health um, mm. knowledge. <laughs> so, That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And, and when did you find the, found the company? In 2019. 2019, and um, you yeah. started out US-based? Correct, yeah. started and, out yeah. US-based. And it's, it's pretty impressive expanding into the UK in such a short space of time. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy ride. Um, it just, again, just fell into it, <laughs> mm. just, just happened. Um, met a few people, had the opportunity to speak at a conference, and that was two years ago, and the rest mm. is history. Mm. Um, and since then, our team has grown, um, our uh, reach has grown um, into the rest of Europe, looking, seeing, um, and experiencing other opportunities. Um, and our reputation has grown and 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 i'm i'm just very grateful for that that Mm -hmm. um employers 
um, and trustees and um, public organizations are really understanding um, what we're doing, why it's important, um, and understanding the cost to them, mm. uh, not only economically, but socially. Yeah. Mm. So how, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah congratulations. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and so how are you seeing the kind of differences between the US and, and, and Europe or the UK uh, kind of in your the consulting work you're doing? Uh, yeah, um, I could talk about this all day. Let's see how I shorten this into <laughs> a reasonable amount of time. Um, so I would say that there are certain factors that um, that impact and influence uh, the way things are done in both places. So there's the regulatory piece, of course, mm -hmm. that is a major <laughs> is a major factor, right? So in the U.S., we have ERISA, which is essentially the highest fiduciary duty in the land, or mm -hmm. it uh, mandates essentially the highest fiduciary duty in the land. So um, it's it's a beast. <laughs> mm. It's 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 difficult. It requires a ton of compliance um, compliance focus, right? And I was just having a discussion with uh, one of your previous uh, um, guests um, yesterday, actually, about how your multinational employers. So the multinational employers we work with, for example, that are based or headquartered in the US. They'll have all their benefits folks in the US, right? Trying to deal with all the regulatory pieces, the compliance, the technical aspects of um, providing benefits. And then they'll have one person, one yeah. person that's either sitting in London or sitting in Bel somewhere in Belgium, <laughs> running benefits and running pensions for the rest of the world, right? Right, yeah. So, so the difference is so starting with the employer the differences there are which impacts the pensions industry in both places mm. so that the employers are a lot more hands-on in the u.s they have to be right they have to be by law um a lot more hands-on they are the fiduciary it doesn't matter you can't make arguments away from you can't delegate your or give your your fiduciary responsibility away right mm. so they're a lot more hands-on um, for that reason they're also a lot more hands-on because it is very much benefits pensions are very much seen as a recruitment and retention tool right yeah um so there's a lot of design work, a lot of communications work in recent years that has gone into um, using their pensions, using their benefits programs as recruitment and retention tools, right? So again, very hands-on for that reason. Whereas here, right, so addressing both of the factors I just mentioned, from a regulatory standpoint, it's Basically, trust law. Um, obviously, yeah. a lot of other laws apply, right? Yeah. Same in the U.S. Other laws apply to <laughs> to ERISA covered um, retirement plans, but um, it's just it's it's simpler. And I know a lot of yeah. people will be like, "What are you talking?" But no, <laughs> from from a regulatory standpoint, yes, there's still a lot of regulation related to pensions here, but it's a lot it it's a lot more logical. ERISA can feel very yeah. out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so 
because of that, um, I would say that there's a difference in um, the way employers, right, um, think about pensions. And because they can essentially pick a master trust provider and hand off those responsibilities, right, they're much less hands-on. Um, and that means that a trustee board, a different or third-party organization is now running the show and is now uh, caring for that that uh, pensions employee relationship, right? So yep. that in itself is a huge difference, right? Um, so from yeah, a regulatory so, standpoint, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I no, no, I mean, because it touches on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, that's really interesting because it just touches on something that kind of came out of uh, both the our response to the consultation um, on value for money uh, and, and a couple of other guests, which is the role of the employer. Um, yeah. So essentially, you know, the framework in the UK looks like, um, as you say, the, <laughs> <laughs> Darren's failed the mute button test there. Yeah. You're just trying to get more sympathy, mate. And we are we are so sympathetic. Well, he actually he looks bad. He looks sick. He so does look bad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um maybe we should be issuing the video version of this to, to just <laughs> just show how sick Darren looks. Um and they can so, also see all the chaos happening behind yeah, me. The lights yeah, went off, they turned yeah, back the on. Anyway, on. <laughs> go ahead. So, I've um, been waving your arms about a lot, Uchi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a very energy efficient building. I'm loving the fact that, uh, you know, every so often you get thrown into the dark by not having moved enough. So, um, yeah, look, the employers um, were kind of their, their job is to select uh, someone who can look after the uh, the regulatory regulatory duties of, um, you know, fulfilling the auto enrollment bits. Uh, and that's it. Right. And then the value for money consultation sort of says, well, you know, the, the trustees of those entities um, or IGCs in the case of uh, insurance arrangements are then in some way responsible for making sure that those were good decisions. Um, and then the employer is just like, what are they going to review this? I guess every three years when they have to do the re-enrollment, I mean, are they going to bother? Um, we've had a couple of discussions about the kind of uh, size biases in the in, in auto-enrollment, that this is, you know, really a policy to to draw smaller employers into pensions who never offered them previously. So are they really going to be in a place to uh, review that detail? Um, I believe I previously lobbied uh, on this podcast for, for employers to have a stronger role and potentially, you know, you liability around this. Um, I had but, this discussion uh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, what do, what do you think about that? Do you think that would... Um, Do you think that would is is that is that more of a curse than a blessing in the U.S. when you compare the U.K. or liability liability is a curse for large mm -hmm. employers in general in the U.S. because you can sue you can sue for any reason under mm -hmm. right. Um, then the question is, you know, how many levels of review will occur in court, right? Based yeah. on how well you documented your decision making, but you really can get past uh, your suit being dismissed in the U.S. for anything, literally, right? right? Mm. Um, and that's a blessing and a curse, right? There's a mm. carrot and a stick there, right? So um, employers are more engaged and more involved and pay a lot more attention to ensuring that they're acting in the best interest of their members. 
um, because of the fear of liability. They're mm. very engaged in making the best decisions that they can. Um, but at the same time, all of that liability also creates some uh, barriers to innovation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, I feel like I was trained really well by um, my predecessors, and there are ways to be creative to get around things and to do mm-hmm. some really interesting work, right? Um, so here, I do think, and a lot of people are going to hear this and <laughs> be like, I know we have a enough regulation uh, um, for on the trustee side and for employers, but I would say that if 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 there was more of a fear of liability, so if there was a right to um, taking legal action on the part of members um, against the employer, I mean, there technically still is, but if it was easier, I would mm-hmm. say, um then employers would be a lot more engaged mm-hmm. um and there is a significant benefit to employers being more engaged mm-hmm. um in, in our lives we our lives are just work right we're yeah. at work all day right so that is that we get all of the information that we need from there we make friends there we have our work spouses there right we have we we get we there's a work culture there right so for example um boeing had a very strong retirement savings culture mm. um you'd walk in and when i first started people would just ask you are you saving in the retirement plan right <laughs> part of it was who part of it was we had a bunch of engineers and such right so they were doing calc- they were doing their own pension calculation <laughs> Oh yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're doing their own pension calculations. So um, so it was just a culture of what's going on in the retirement plan and people internally would talk to each other about it, right? Mm-hmm. And we leveraged that culture, right, to do even more. Mm. Um so you get a lot of information from your peers, right? From your peers, you get a lot of information from your employers and you also trust those entities, right? Um, you trust them to a certain extent where you're more likely to engage, you're more likely to listen. Um, and what I've seen here is that's not happening in most yeah. cases mm-hmm. because they're, because employers um, really have no incentive to be more hands-on. I'll just yeah. put it like that. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about employers, um, are you talking about employers of all shapes and sizes? Um, and how do, you know, because, yeah. you know, you, you, the example you gave was Boeing, which is, you know, a pretty big yeah. company. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but 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 also, you know, we know that the lifeblood of the economy, we know, we know that there's millions of smaller employers out yeah. there. You know, yeah. how, how, how can they best help their staff should that should they have duties on them to do this stuff you know how so, yeah um so here's what i would say and again i will do the uh us uk we can call it comparison we can call it juxtaposition whatever you want to call it but um so i'm a small employer and i mm. offer my employees a retirement plan i'm a fiduciary right yep. mm-hmm. and for my employees a retirement plan i offer them a health plan um and the reality is in the u.s 
as a small employer, you don't have to. Like there's yeah. no <laughs> there's no mandate. And in reality, retirement plans, you can offer them or you don't offer them, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so so for small employers, it's more of a choice. There's been more of a policy push more recently, right? Around auto enrollment in the US, around um around uh, state-sponsored retirement plans that smaller employers can be part of, can make contributions to, very similar to here. Yep. Um, there's been legislation around pooled, which would, I guess, be a master trust here, commercial yep. trust, yep. around um, pooled, uh, pooled schemes, pooled plans, right? Um, but it is, it's, it's very, it's been, it's more recently for small employers in the U.S. become a, hey, there are regulatory pieces around this, and yep. we need to make sure that we're not, uh, that we're in compliance of something, right? Yep. Are we a covered employer for purposes of, you know, providing benefits or retirement plan? Um, and my point in giving the U.S. examples that here, there's auto enrollment mandates, right? Mm -hmm. There are specific mm -hmm. auto enrollment mandates that apply. And the reality is for small employers, it can be a burden, it can be a very significant burden. So it makes complete sense that they would look for a place to to discharge um, mm -hmm. any of their mm -hmm. compliance or governance responsibilities around it, right? Um, it makes sense that they would. Um, with all of that said, right, um, I do think that we as the pension industry, and I'm calling myself, I'm call including myself in that, right? Um, <laughs> you're most welcome. <laughs> you're the DC, <laughs> you're the UK pensions industry now as well. <laughs> there you go. Um, I do think that we have a responsibility kind of bringing it back to value for money. Um, we have a responsibility to understand that the, the employers, right? So we can talk about members, we can talk about employers, that the employers who do not have capacity to be hands-on, right, mm. with these pensions literally don't have the, the uh, knowledge or capacity to be hands-on with these pension plans. Um, we have to understand that we have to fill that gap for them, mm, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, it's so important that we do. We need to fill that knowledge gap for them. We need to fill that engagement gap for them because they just don't have it, right? They don't have the bandwidth. Mm. Um, as you go into mid-size and larger employers that decide to be part of um, master trust or those who just have their own trust. Some of our clients in the US still have their own trust. Some are thinking very seriously about master trust because of just the burden of having their own. Um, for them, I think we need to, there needs to be more accountability going back to the liability. I might not, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as pushing for liability, people will like want to kill me, yeah. but, <laughs> but, um, but I do think there should be more accountability on 
on what they're doing for their members. They do have the bandwidth. It's a question of to what extent are they in going to invest the mm. personnel resources um, to handle that. Um, but you see it everywhere here, like I said, have just one benefits person. The yeah. rest are HR folks. They don't know pensions. Yeah, no yeah. offense to any, yeah, yeah. any uh, <laughs> HR folks listening, but but that's changed a lot. Have, that's changed a sorry. lot in the last few years. Um, okay. As auto enrollment has sort of moved them from having their own trust yeah. uh, into having uh, master trust. So, so I'd say that um, as much about uh, the direct one-to-one -one relationship with an institution than fiduciary where that sits. Yeah. Um, because they, as they've been able to, you know, as I was sort of saying before, you used to have a, a number of your trustees from the corporation um, who would come in and particularly in DB schemes worry about the fact of this this huge deficit that sits on my balance sheet. What on earth are the trustees doing? Well, yeah. well, let's make you a trustee. Um, so and that led to and people talk about whether it's paternalism and people talk about whether it's sort of just that kind of risk. Mm. Um, but the sense that there was a DC scheme alongside meant that maybe the CFO was a trustee of the DC scheme mm -hmm. um, and the pensions part of the business, uh, you know, an HR kind of reported somewhere into someone who was a trustee. Um, so, you know, when you when you kind of cut off that that thread, uh, particularly when you have the kind of C-suite who are not part of the master trust because they're maybe caught by tax or they're uh, still in the DB scheme over here. You yeah, know, yeah. those those things have happened in the UK. Yeah, and I think the yeah. pension departments are, are reducing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, go ahead, Darren, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, um, you mentioned um, value for money. Um, and especially, <laughs> which, is, which is absolutely fantastic, given the uh, the title of the, the theme of this. this, this yeah, podcast. and how far we've made it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, we're supposed yeah. to talk about that at some point. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, 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 and you know, um, but, but but what does that look like for you? Like, I'm, I'm trying to just sort of tick the box of you know, yeah, we ask yeah. our guests three questions. So, you know, for the last few minutes, you know, what does that actually mean? What does that feel like for you? You know, how do you how do you go about assessing that? So I would say value for money, just in short, value for money is more than more than choosing investments. Mm -hmm. And I think we always talk about value for money in the sense of what are the trustees doing around investment considerations, defaults, et cetera, right? I get that. It's very important. It, it's a high liability area, right, from a governance perspective, but good governance goes beyond the investments you chose yeah. because yeah. the outcomes have to do with the investments you chose and the outcomes have to do with the behavior of your members. Mm. Um, outcomes also have to do with your scheme design, right? All those different pieces impact outcomes. Mm. So, Value for members means to, to value for members should be value for members. Well, <laughs> it has been. It has, it has been. been. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, so VFM um, means to me taking into consideration what your fiduciary duties actually are. I do not think all trustee boards are meeting their fiduciary duties. I will say that with mm. confidence. Mm. Um, and I say that because they're there are different aspects to your fiduciary duty, which also includes doing what's in the best interest of your members. That is not only 
that is not only the funds that you that you um, decide on, it's also are you engaging with your member population? Who are who and you and there's no way to answer that question unless you know who your member population who's in your population, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what their issues are. You have to understand what barriers to access are for them. You have to understand how your plan design is impacting them, understanding if there's a disparate impact. You have to understand behavioral and structural issues, right? Mm -hmm. You have to take all of those things into consideration to really act in the best interest of your participants or members. We call them participants in the US, (laughs) right? So your members should be number one. You start from there your members, and then you build the other pieces from there, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're doing what's in the best interest of your members. They should be at the center of that, yeah. correct? Yeah. Right? So um, so value for money, value for money, what it means to me is, it's from, from a master trust standpoint, from whether DBDC, right? From a, from a outside third party standpoint, it means that employers need to understand that lowest cost does not mean value, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean value. What employers, in my opinion, and what I'm preaching need to understand that value comes from what's best for your members. So you start there, right? You start there and then you see if the scheme has all the different pieces in it from an engagement standpoint, from an understanding of who your members are, whether from a class perspective, from an ethnicity perspective, from a gender perspective, because you need to do diff- things differently for underserved groups, right? And and do you think like, you know, we, we have seen lots of consolidation in the UK and there'll be more. Yeah, so we're moving away from single employer trust model right. and we're all going to master trusts and, you know, I don't know where we'll end up in terms of number of master trusts, but, you know, we'll have a lot less than we've got now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to have sort of big mega schemes. You know, yep. that's the, that's the, the game in town at the moment from a UK perspective. Mm-hmm. How, how does that sort of then, you know, juxtapose against, you know, what you were saying there about the need to know your membership, the need to... Um, you know, um, really think about um, some of the barriers to access and, you know, the demographics, because surely that would be easier to do in a single employer trust environment where mm-hmm. you've got a much closer relationship with mm-hmm. the employer right. of, rather than, you know, this just huge monolithic, um, you know, mega scheme with, you know, millions and millions of members in it. Yeah, it makes it even more crucial to ensure that you are incorporating, implementing um, EDI inclusion um, into your schemes from top yeah. to bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say top to bottom, I mean trustee board, trustee board operations. I've seen some of these policies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where the discussion is around technical issues the entire time. You can incorporate all of these things, all of these EDI considerations into all of your policies, and you can do that through your EDI policy that then um, that then incorporates by reference, you know, other things. Um, but implementing those things, right, and being serious and intentional about 
um, implementing your EDI policy. So when I say end to end, top to bottom, top is the trustee board taking responsibility for understanding that they have to act in the best interest of essentially the UK population, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. A sample of the UK population, right? So that means you have to understand the UK population. Not everything is equal. People are starting from different places. People are coming from different countries. People are there. You have single mothers. You have people from ethnic, from different racial and ethnic backgrounds that have, for historical reasons, been marginalized um, and experienced significant disparities, right? You have to understand this and you have to take all of that into consideration in your operations. You have to take it into consideration in your communications and engagement, right? Really the most important piece mm. is, is that, right? Yeah. Your engagement and your communications, then you have to take it into consideration when you're reviewing outcomes, right? There shouldn't, uh, I've been surprised to find, and I also had this conversation yesterday, we always, as a, as a consultant, um, I always assume that uh, employers and uh, trustee boards have a strategy. That's an assumption. Yeah, it's it's a big it's a bit it's a big assumption. It's an assumption, right? So you go in with this assumption. Oh, you have a strategy, and what we're going to do is we're going to improve your strategy, right? Um, but you go in and you find out there was no strategy. They're just delivering a plan, a scheme, like period, yeah. right? There was no strategy, right? It is our responsibility, like I said earlier not just for the small employers who have zero bandwidth to engage, but even for the larger employers who will be part of these master trusts if they're not already. It's our responsibility to fill in those gaps. It's our responsibility to figure out engagement because we are doing everyone a disservice if we don't. Everyone. Yeah. We're doing yeah. the state a disservice because these are individuals who will then be a burden to the state. Yeah. We're doing the we're we're doing everyone their families a disservice because they become a burden to their families. Um and like the ISIO and a lot of the other survey data that's come out, people who are not financially well, it impacts their work lives, it impacts everything. Um and when we have bad outcomes, if you're one of these master trusts and your outcomes are continually bad, people will switch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. EBCs will, will be like, look, change <laughs> yeah. what you're right? So even if so, they don't have the knowledge, right? Yeah. That's, uh, I think we probably ought to uh, kind of wrap up because oh, we're, yeah. uh, no, that's been I'm absolutely fascinating. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and your passion and, and knowledge is uh, is really good to, to to hear. So you can have my spot on the Pensions Commission. That's, that's get my <laughs> vote. Yeah. Your non existent spot, Nikki. My non existent spot. I'll keep the peerage. <laughs> Lord, Lord Aspinall. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and, and, and uh, talking to us about everything value for money uh, and uh, pensions policy. Um, so, uh, yeah, what have we got coming up? You mentioned you've got a conference next year. Yeah, so we have our own pensions conference that we will be throwing with some sponsors and partners um, first quarter of next year. Mm. 
Um, we're really looking to um, engage with employers, as we've just been talking about, mm, yep. engage with employers directly, um, and also get some trustees in the room um, to really hear the 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 uh, issues that employers are facing and hear um, you know the desires um, that these employers have. Um, for these for their employees. Fantastic. So can people register for that now? Is that is that kind of not ready to roll? yet? Okay. But we will we will share the link and we'll share information um, very soon by early December. I can't believe it's already mid November. Yeah, I know it is. I know, yeah. isn't it? It's fine. Um, what have you got, Nico? Yeah, so I've got a couple of things to mention. So we've got the the Newton uh, Leaves of Change event on the sustainable transition on the twenty eighth of November. Um, if you look on my LinkedIn, you can you can see a couple of times I've uh, uh, posted the link to go and register for that. So it's uh, that's going to be I think that's going to be a really interesting event. Um, and then I also wanted to I think we talked about it last time, but the the kind of agenda is starting to fill in for the DC Net Zero. Uh, uh, so the Net Zero Investor DC conference next year on the 31st of January. Um, so Jonathan Parker, James Lawrence, uh, Natalie Winterforest, and uh, Shipra Gupta uh, are all confirmed. Um, so. so isn't. Well, I, you know, I used my veto, mate. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure we could squeeze you in somewhere. Uh, but if you want to register for that, uh, then uh, netzeroinvestor.net. Uh, the the registration is open now. So, looking forward to that. Perfect. What have you got? What have you got coming up, Darren? Uh, well, I've mentioned this a few times because it's sort of all-consuming at the moment uh, for me. But chairing the DG Publishing Private Public Pensions, mm. which is taking place next week at Penny Hill Park, so you know a couple of days of um, lots of pensions fun and chat, and yeah. just hopefully I'll be in you know slightly more shipshape condition to be able to 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 you know chair that event with energy and enthusiasm. <laughs> well I, I hope you feel better tomorrow, let alone Thank in a week's you. time. Thank you. Um, Thank you. you're you're a very brave soldier for having made it all, oh, all yeah. the way through. Oh, Nico, Go back quick. to bed. I'm going Get yourself to yes, and sick with honey. Yeah. Uh, look after yourself. Mm. Certainly will. So we have got coming up Caroline Escott next week. Um and then we've got Paul Watson from Host Plus and the Senator Nick Sherry. Yeah. So, you know, looking forward to that as we as we close in on the on the year end. Yeah. So uh Uche, thank you so much. Lovely to hear uh how you've been getting on. Great to see that uh Nelu is uh is coming. Um, looking forward to hearing you taking over the the kind of UK consulting market. That seems Indeed. that seems very likely. Yeah, a um, lot of uh, low hanging fruit. Strategically, you've done very well to select the UK. So well done. Um, and uh, yeah, until next time, uh, it's goodbye from me. Um, absolutely fantastic, Uche. Thank you very much, and goodbye from me. Thanks for having me. So great to talk to you. Thank you. And it's bye from you as well, isn't it, Uche? This is how we end. This is how oh, we okay. end. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if we were. <laughs> Sounds good. No, we, we, no, it was brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. And Darren, really feel better. Please take good care of yourself. I will. I will. I need some good um, employee benefits. Oh, I work for myself now. <laughs> <laughs> On that bombshell. <laughs> right. Goodbye. Sorry. Bye. All right. Bye.